0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a co-worker, or a single-barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find, only at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21.
1: Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade on Food52, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we get to hear from the geniuses themselves. This week, I've been talking with Nicole Rucker about her Genius Kabocha Olive Oil and Bittersweet Chocolate Cake from the Jolina Cookbook, which is a shareable, giftable, and very pretty loaf cake. What I loved about this recipe is that it reminded me of that soft, almost squishy type of pumpkin bread that you often see served in nice thick slices. But really, when I'm left alone with them, I end up just making my way through the whole loaf, pulling off big palmfuls. So it's like that, except that Nicole has just ratcheted all of the flavors way up. It's more pumpkiny, more chocolatey, just more everything. And yet, other than roasting the squash, it's as straightforward as any dump and stir cake is to make. And I was able to bake it many times while my toddler slept. It's also doused in this beautiful, glossy, sweet, savory glaze just from whisking in a little bit of olive oil that I want to pour over my next lemon cake and my next zucchini bread, and maybe one day apple hand pies when my kid is old enough not to just eat all of our work along the way. In talking with Nicole, I also learned about a step that was in the cookbook version where you drain the roasted squash overnight in cheesecloth that you don't have to do anymore because she doesn't. So you can complete your kabocha cake mission today instead of tomorrow, and it will keep beautifully for days as oil-based cakes tend to do. You can get more on the food science going on there, plus the full recipe and video for how to make it on Food52 today. But here, you'll get to hear all of the other fun stuff that we couldn't quite fit in. How Nicole plotted to win the KCRW Pie Contest, what she learned from closing her beloved restaurant Fiona after nine months, and how much better life is running her, as she calls it, tiny pie shop fat and flour at Grand Central Market in LA. But to start, here's the first thing she ever baked, which might surprise you as will her path to becoming a professional baker. What was the very first thing you ever baked? It might have been biscuits from Bisquick, to be honest, yeah. Did that, like, spark anything for you in wanting to become a baker, or did that come later?
2: Um, I think it all came later. Uh, I really wanted to be an illustrator, like, illustrate Disney, Disney movies. Um, Mm -hmm. but also... I was just counting all the jobs that I had. The list is long. It was almost like almost an
1: afterthought. The baking was almost an afterthought?
2: Yeah. It didn't come till much later. I started baking and cooking, um,
1: I think I was like 2003.
2: Mm -hmm. And I'm 40 now, so I was 23. Mm -hmm. Um, Like wanting to do it as a profession, that was when I decided I wanted to do it. But I tried so much other stuff first. What did you try? Well, when I was a teenager, the first job I had was doing, um, voiceovers for radio commercials. And that's what I did. I did that a couple times, like as a gig. Um, and then I like worked at a smoothie shop and was a hostess at a pizza place. And, uh, when I was in college, I, worked at a photo studio. I was an assistant to an artist. Um, I worked at an ad agency as a receptionist, all kinds of stuff, just like random stuff. (laughs) But I did bring baked goods to every single one of those jobs. I I loved to make stuff, but I just didn't think about doing it as like a job.
1: So when did that change for you? When did you realize that it could be a job?
2: That that was around 2003. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I when I saw that somebody was hiring an AM baker, and I thought I really want to learn how to do that. I want to. I think I want to do that. And so I lied and about my job mm-hmm. experience, and <laughs> I got this job. Um, little did I know that most people. When they wanted to get into food or not 100 transparent, but it like doesn't uh-huh. matter because you just want someone that wants to be there at 3 a.m. So if somebody wants to show up at 3 a.m. and doesn't mess everything up, they're trainable. <laughs> That's it. you. Might, you found somebody. <laughs> Congratulations.
1: So you you felt like you had pulled a fast one, but
2: <laughs> I did. Yeah, but is the the like golden job rule of like showing up is the first steps of success. You know, <laughs> that's true. So I, sh- I kept showing up. Um, and then I, you know, it's just, it's been like a, it was like a back and forth all the time. Like I would get this job working in food until I had, I didn't have enough money to, and then I had to like leave and go get a job as a receptionist again for a couple of years. And then I would get a job at night working in a restaurant. And then I would, you know, go and work as a grocery delivery person during the day so that I could make like tips and things mm-hmm. like that. And then I, you know, went and worked as a barista for Intelligentsia and that's where I met Travis Lett because his his restaurant was right down the street and he wanted to hire me as a barista. But I said, you know, I have a baking background. I know how to do this stuff. I would like to do the other stuff, not just be a barista. And for some reason, he said yes to that, which I would never hire anybody (laughs) like that. (laughs) But, you know, he hired me as the manager slash baker slash barista. I was just all over. Even when I won the KCRW pie contest um, in 2012, I believe they referred to me as the general manager. And I was like, wow, that makes it sound really impressive that this like general manager just rolls up and sweeps this competition. But actually I had, I was baking every single day.
1: What was that like entering that contest and winning for you?
2: It was like a very calculated win. I really wanted to win. I had done barista competitions for intelligentsia. So I got this like bug for like competing. And I thought, I want to win this pie contest. That sounds so fun. I'm in it to win it. And I went in really like headstrong and I was doing daily baking at GTA, but I wasn't making pies every day. Mm -hmm. And I never really, I didn't grow up making pie either we made box cakes and like banana bread and stuff like that and biscuits. And I just thought I'm going to enter this pie contest. I made my employees like that worked in baking enter the contest with me. (laughs) It's like, we're going to do this fun team building thing. (laughs) That I'm going to (laughs) win. Let's all enter pies. Yeah, basically let's all enter pies together. So we all entered and like none of us placed. Everybody did poorly. You know, nobody won. They were like resentful that I made them spend the day in the sun (laughs) serving strangers slices of pie. We had a good time, but it was still a little bit uh, uh, frustrating for everybody. And then um, I didn't win and I was like, how could I not win? You know, I really wanted this. So I started to study what the winners did. And I saw the first thing was they all had glass pie plates so they Mm -hmm. could see when the bottoms were done. And I was like, oh, that must be something. And then from then on, I just started, I started making a lot of pie. And that's what I did for the next year. I just would make a couple pies every week for the shop and really tried to like explore what I was going
1: for. And over that year that you were uh, training to win the pie competition, what changed in your pie making?
2: Uh, Everything. All of it. Yeah. I developed a pie recipe that I liked, a dough recipe that I liked. But I think like the most important thing was just making them a lot. Mm -hmm. So I just made a lot of pies and that got me comfortable. The morning of the competition, I decided to make a savory pie and a sweet pie to enter. And I did not plan ahead. And I made the dough that morning and I didn't let it rest for two hours. And I like threw these pies together and drove over to the contest and they were still hot. And entered them in the contest. I mean, like, I kind of just, like, threw all of my practice out the window. What
1: were the two pies and which one won?
2: They both won. Oh. Um, The two pies were, one of them was a pork and peas pie that had apples and pork belly in it. Um, And then the second pie was a huckleberry and blackberry pie that had a crumble top on it. And it was, like, an oat and brown sugar crumble. It was really, it was a really nice pie.
1: This is the Genius Recipe Tapes. We'll be right back. You opened your first restaurant, Fiona, and people absolutely loved it. And then nine months later, it closed. So what were the biggest things that you took away from that experience? And what did you want to do differently at Fat & Flour?
2: Every restaurant opening and closing has a different set of challenges, but they all kind of face the same um, trials, I guess. And in my case, um, we just... Ran out of money. We were underfunded from the beginning, so mm-hmm. I guess what I learned—the biggest thing I learned—was to um, not base the aesthetics and the the picture of the restaurant, not to base that on future goals of like what we think we can be, but only base it on what we have available to us right now. And I think that that is. A picture of a restaurant that a lot of people are going to have to figure out right now as well with all the closings that are happening um, because we've typically created these restaurants and these spaces up and they're based on like this impression that we're trying to get people on board with but it doesn't always work out and so we kind of have to like in a way be more honest I think so if I think about how that has changed my Business vision going to fat and flour. I I only operate in a way that I know that I can manage and I can do all the jobs. And the budget is what is available to me right now. It's not a budget that's like, well, as soon as we hit this sales thing, then we'll be able to breathe easier. It's like, no, we breathe easy now because we manage our spending now instead of based on future sales projections. I think. Come into that a lot because when you open a restaurant, people want to see projections. But projections are wishes and dreams, mm-hmm. and they're not—they're not real at all. Um, which is a funny part of a business plan. You're valuing yourself, but it's not actual. You know, it's not real yet. So now we just base it in the day to day and the right now, and uh, it's working out.
1: <laughs> Do you find that somehow freeing? Just just being away from the the pressure of meeting those projections?
2: Absolutely. hundred percent. I live such a free, like mentally, I, my brain is so free <laughs> and my, and my emotional capacity is so like, I have a, I have a full well, basically I have, I have energy to give instead of it being like constantly up against this, you know, expectation and this wall. So it is, it's definitely a lot simpler way to do business. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good for me. I, you know, most of the time, most of this, we've been open a year, um, basically as of December 20th Mm -hmm. at the time that you and I are talking, we're about to execute Thanksgiving and, you know, it's just a different, um, it's just a different way, but most of the year I get to go home at like four o'clock what? and I get to work at like eight. <laughs> it's almost like a normal Wait. person's life. <laughs> it's just what I'm saying. Like we have man. you know, like when you don't have, when you don't create the type of business that makes these demands on yourself, but you also have to like reconcile with what that means financially. Right. I don't have to do that much. As much. I created the kind of job that I want to work at and it's only with my money, so that's good.
1: And you don't have to be there at midnight to start the next day's things. That, I feel like that's unheard of. In at least, I mean, I've never worked in a in a bakery before, but the lore and like the people I know who have their jobs always started in the middle of the night.
2: Yeah, I've had those jobs. Um, my first job in baking was one of those jobs, right? To be there at three a.m. And you know, when you're young that's exciting because you want to push your, your mind and your body to that. You're like, I go to work at 3 a.m. It's like this big challenge. And I remember feeling so proud of myself for that. Mm-hmm. And then once you get older, you realize like, that's very exhausting <laughs> and <laughs> I'm very, very lazy and I want to sleep in. In the winter, it's so hard to, to like pry yourself out of bed. I don't want any of my employees to have to go to work before, I would say before seven. Ideally, Um, I think I would not want anyone to have to be at work before 7 a.m. That would be a dream. And right now that's happening. And, you know, one of them has a child. So she gets to like wake up and feed her kid breakfast and take him to, you know, his daycare or whatever. So it's, that's how I want to live. I don't want to wake up at 3 a.m. anymore. (laughs) Unless it's for for a flight to France or something.
1: So how did you design that to work? How, like, What is a typical week, not a pre-Thanksgiving week at Fat and Flower look like?
2: Well, you know, typical week, it, this year has not been typical. So we're, we have a new typical week every couple of weeks. Um, we opened and then we closed for the first two months of the pandemic. Then we opened again but their business wasn't there to support us being open five days a week or seven days a week. So we decided to do two days a week. And then that those two days became so busy with pre-orders and people coming in that we needed to spread it out. So out of necessity, we spread it out across four days. So now we're open four days a week and that's our typical week. So the bakers get there at 7 a.m. and they do their prep and they start making pies and then we bake off cookies and then we open and then we close at five o'clock and right now that works for us and in the future maybe during the summer we'll be open a little bit later but right now it gets dark at four Mm -hmm. so it feels nice to close at five and then everyone gets to go home and you know eat dinner by seven it sounds very it sounds very silly when i explain it it sounds like very simple (laughs)
1: The way that you're describing having an actual well of mental energy to draw from, if, if there's anything you can do to protect that, it would be worth it because it sounds so dreamy right now. But before we end today, I had to know, what do other people do with all those seeds and guts in winter squash? So many food bloggers tell us that the roasted seeds are this free snack that we should never throw away. But anytime I've committed to fishing them all out and cleaning and drying and roasting and usually burning them, I'm just sad that they're not more delicious. But as it turns out, I've probably just been tackling them the wrong way. And these listeners have much smarter ideas. Plus one more possibly controversial thought from Nicole herself.
4: Hi, this is Carrie Newman. I'm calling from Saddle River, New Jersey. I find seeding the pumpkin to be a very, very tedious task.
1: Now my kids
4: are six and four, and I put them to work this year. We scooped out the pumpkin. I gave them a big bowl of the flesh and the seeds and two little bowls, and I had them try to take the seeds out of the flesh. It was pretty good. It lasted a few minutes. And they got a decent amount, but the training continues next year so that one day I will have a little army of cedars in the house. Another gripe I have with the pumpkin seeds is that I've tried a lot of different cooking methods, either the low and slow or the really high, like 400 degrees. Um, I always burn the seeds when they're at 400, no matter what. I'm like watching it like a hawk. I turn around for a second and they're black. What I did was the seeds were still a little bit damp after I rinsed them. I put them on a parchment lined baking sheet and I put them in a 300 degree oven. I just let them be for quite a while. In fact, I went to feed my baby upstairs. Took like a half hour. I came down and they weren't burned. So now I am recommending 300 degrees for pumpkin seeds to anyone that will listen.
0: This is Rich Sheet, co-author of Koji Alchemy. I know a lot of you out there find it to be messy and a pain to separate the seeds from the strings of flesh connected to them. There's a simple solution to that. All you have to do is roast the seeds with the guts. When you split any squash, just scoop out all the innards and spread the seeds in a sheet pan lined with parchment lightly coated with oil. Season with some salt. Consider dusting with the spice mix you like. Bake it in a 400 degree oven. Stir it once in a while until the seeds are toasted and crunchy. Of course these are tasty whole, but they're also great chopped up and used as a garnish. Another way to go is to spin the roasted seeds in a blender while drizzling in a neutral oil to create a nut butter that is similar to tahini. From there you can add basil and garlic to make an interesting pesto. Have fun with the possibilities, and please do share with us what you make.
1: And as to Nicole's thoughts?
2: There's nothing you can do. (laughs) Right now, I'm using so much kabocha, hundreds of pounds, that there's no possible way I can save those seeds. It's just something that goes in the compost and goes out. And at home, my husband gets very excited about the idea of something for the compost. Like, oh, I have more food for the compost. Sorry, I'm so lazy. Or take them and dry them, and then um, you can plant them.
1: And just in a little pot, they'd sprout.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll sprout. They'll sprout anywhere. You put them in the compost and then they show up somewhere in your yard. And you're like, where did that <laughs> Where did that squash plant come from? So definitely.
1: If you have something that you love, like really love doing with the seeds and guts of all those winter squashes, I would love to hear about it, along with all of your other genius tips at dot 52com our show was put together by Coral Lee, Emily Hanhan, and me, Kristen McGlory. If you like the Genius Recipe Tapes, be sure to rate and review us. It really helps. See you next time.